Hello, and welcome to this FRDH podcast. I'm Michael Goldfarb. Brexit, an apostate thought. The EU will be better off without the UK. I don't say that to be glib. I'm not a rich man. The one solid benefit I could bequeath to my beautiful 11-and-a-half-year-old daughter, born here in the UK, was the benefit of two passports and the right to work in many different countries all over the world. Within a few years, that right will be gone in 27 of them. But even so, I appreciate that the EU will function better without the drag anger of the United Kingdom. Churchill saw it clearly in a speech given on the 19th of September, 1946, at the University of Zurich. The war had been over for just over a year. Continental Europe had been partitioned between the West and the Soviet Union. Much of it was in ruins. Millions were displaced and homeless. There was a way out of the catastrophic conditions around the continent, Churchill told his audience. It is to recreate the European family or as much of it as we can, and provide it with a structure under which it can dwell in peace, in safety, and in freedom, we must build a kind of United States of Europe. He added, the first step in the recreation of the European family must be a partnership between France and Germany. Churchill understood, all men may be created equal, but all nations are not. The big have more clout in geopolitics. Europe had the big three, but Britain would not be part of this United States of Europe. Britain was the lead player in its own imperial association, the British Commonwealth, but Britain would encourage and help the United States of Europe political development. Sadly, too many in the modern Conservative Party, people who are on a first-name basis with Winston and his disciple, with whom they are also on a first-name basis, Blessed Margaret, never actually understood his farsightedness. For them, the European Union was always just an economic association, not a political one. Yet the greatest success of the EU, as it has grown over 60 years from 5 to 27 nations, has been to reverse Clausewitz's maxim about war being a continuation of politics by other means. It has taken what used to be accomplished by war and extended it with politics, a continent united without a shot being fired. 60 years. Remember that number. And uniting the continent has always been an underlying force in Europe. Geography is destiny. Europe is small in area, but crowded with different nations. The big ones thrive. Less powerful ones, like Poland, get partitioned, because Europe's destiny has been to be unified, and there's always some big country trying to do it. For 200 years, attempts to unify the continent were by war. You could summarize European history in that period. France's Grand Armée marching east, Prussia, and later Germany's Wehrmacht, marching west and east, with Russia always waiting to stop the advance in its tracks. In the 75 years before Churchill's speech, Germany and France went to war three times. Churchill was born just after the end of the first of those conflicts, and now, for almost as long, Europe has been at peace. And when the Soviet Union collapsed, in an act of unprecedented geopolitical generosity, 
many of the countries that had been trapped in that totalitarian state's sphere of influence were brought into the EU, given funds to help develop their backwards economies and their citizens welcomed around the continent. That's a profound accomplishment, not one to walk away from. But I understand why. Churchill was right in the broad stroke, but wrong in keeping Britain to the side. The Commonwealth still exists. The Empire does not. But the Conservative Party, for the most part, still indulges imperial delusions. Empire 2.0 is what Tories are calling this moment of Brexit. The party is also enthralled in Margaret Thatcher's memory and her views of what Winston would have wanted. When the Cold War ended with the fall of the wall and then the collapse of the Soviet Union, it was a historical moment almost as important as the end of World War II. As Churchill envisioned, France, led by François Mitterrand, and Germany, led by Helmut Kohl, took the lead in strengthening the foundations of the United States of Europe. Britain, with Thatcher at the height of her power, wanted no part of it. But Britain was part of it, as a member of what was still the European community. It was around this time, 1989-90, that I switched from writing about theater and film to hard news. Honestly, nothing was as dramatic as the wall falling, Europe reconfiguring itself without a shot being fired, communism collapsing, Thatcher railing in Parliament against a more federal Europe. No, no, no! The first big story I covered was her resignation. There were several reasons she was defenestrated, but Europe was one of them, and all the action to remove her happened while she was at a European summit. I covered the Maastricht Treaty negotiations and endured many sleepless nights while Thatcher's successor, John Major, negotiated the various British opt-outs from that agreement. Britain is not part of the Euro, nor is it part of the Schengen Agreement, creating a border-free Europe. But Britons traveling on the continent enjoy the full benefits of Schengen and the Euro. So do British businesses. When Schengen came into effect, I did a story for NPR. I drove around happily crossing borders without flashing my passport once, except when I returned to Dover. I recorded a link at an abandoned custom station on the French-Belgium border down the road from Dunkirk. I rolled two minutes of natural sound, lorries thundering from one country to the next without having to put on their brakes. I remembered the blood shed over that border. I also recalled the extraordinary delays I endured as a student driving from country to country while papers were checked and lorries queued to get to the customs weighing machines. Like millions of others, traveling around to several countries on business trips or holidays, I rejoiced in not having to change money every time I crossed the border. You'd have thought that Major might get some credit from his own party for his skilled negotiation in getting Britons the benefits of the Euro and border-free travel without any of the liabilities. But no, the rest of his term in office was blighted by his own backbenchers, invoking Winston and Margaret, Margaret and Winston. At one point, Major had to face his party down and call a leadership contest, back me or sack me. His party's Eurosceptics backed down but the row led to defeat by Tony Blair's Labour Party in 1997. Euroscepticism became the only criterion for leading the Conservatives. The party lost three elections in a row before it found its way to victory with David Cameron, who was less aggressively anti-European, but still held the referendum on leaving, and lost. And so here we are. Brexit.
and I can't help but think that the brief moment just after the collapse of communism, when Europe was no longer partitioned and a new geopolitical architecture was being built, that the foundation would have been stronger without British foot-dragging. Churchill was right. He had a knowledge born not of one war or two wars, but of all three Franco-German wars. Perhaps the flaws in the Euro's design, flaws that were known at the beginning, might have been ironed out between Mitterrand and Kohl, but too much time was spent trying to drag Thatcher, and then Major, into the Federal Europe project. Now, 1989 is not coming back. Today, we live in a world shaped by the crash of 2008. Greece suffers. The euro may or may not survive, although the political will to keep it going remains even among the Greeks. And maybe, with Britain gone, a new generation of leaders, a better, more thoughtful generation of leaders, can keep the momentum towards what Churchill saw as inevitable going. A United States of Europe, created not by the Wehrmacht, not by the Grand Armée, not by the Red Army, but by peaceful means, but without Britain. Hey-ho. And that's all for this edition of FRDH Podcast. Thanks for listening. Please visit the website, www.goldfarbpod.com, where you can hear much more, and make a donation, please, to keep the podcasts coming.